Hey, fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes, they must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. And when you're talking about manscaping, you start thinking about scary terms like clipping and nicking and cutting, never things that you want to worry about when you're manscaping. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your body grooming game. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you that need a chest shave. This third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust the setting to any length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. Get 20% off free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC20. For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll be talking baseball with our friend Marty Lurie from KNVR Weekend Giants pregame about the Giants pitching debacle down in Los Angeles last weekend, as well as what's going on with the Oakland A's and bench coach Ryan Christensen, who made a racist Nazi-like salute on the field following an Oakland A's victory last weekend. It's Wednesday, August 12th. Well, it's an opportunity now to talk to one of the great baseball minds in the Bay Area, one of the great Bay Area baseball conversationalists, and one of my good friends. I'm thrilled to have you on a podcast that I'm hosting. I've done some of yours before. Marty Lurie, it's great to have you on to talk baseball, one of our favorite things, man. Boy, thanks, Adam. It's always a pleasure to talk ball with you, and thank goodness we have baseball. That's all I can say. It's crazy the way it's playing out but at least we have it doesn't it seem like ages ago that we were talking about could they get a season in how would they do it how would they play the games what's the number of games and now it's just kind of off and running it just feels sort of natural and normal to me how about you well it does for us here on the west coast because we haven't been ravaged by covid in the national league central the cubs of course uh, lost some games And the Cardinals have only played five games all year the marlins were out for a long time Uh, the phillies were out So the East and the Central really has felt the COVID. We haven't felt it out here. The teams are adhering to the protocols and baseball is starting to really tighten up. You make a good point in that for us, it's felt sort of natural and sort of normal. But, you know, I imagine for a a Cardinals fan base that is a rabid fan base and in the Midwest and they're waiting for baseball all season long. This is one of their pinnacle moments of the year. And I really do think that the competitive balance has been sort of manipulated or or changed across the league. And this is what Rob Manfred said would kind of halt a season. Now, that hasn't happened yet. But what do you think about that? Do you have problems with the competitive balance or you just sort of think, well, it's just the way of 2020? Well, I think it's the way of 2020. Let's see how it plays out. It has affected the competitive balance. There's no doubt in the Central and in the East. But so far, as we get to the one-third point of the season, there are enough teams in the National League competing where you can actually have a pennant race and you can see a playoff of eight teams. You can do it. 
It's such a funny year because we also, in the midst of all the hectic building of the 2020 baseball season, Giants fans, our beloved Giants baseball team right here in San Francisco, we're getting used to a new manager. We're getting used to a new style of game. It's something like you and I have never seen before, Marty. Do you think we're going to be able to discern after 60 games what kind of manager Gabe Kapler is? Do you think we're going to get a good grasp on that? Or do you think no matter what, you're going to need to see more? Well, I think we're going to need to see more, but clearly he is bound by analytics. There's no question. The other part is he's an outfielder and he doesn't have the feel for pitching and pitching changes that other catchers or pitchers may have. And most managers turn out to be former catchers. So we're going through that learning curve as well. He has an inexperienced bench coach who's never been in the big leagues before and ever been above the instructional league. So he has really no one to lean on to help him with pitching changes. And his pitching coach is Andrew Bailey. And he was a closer for the A's for a couple of years. And then he was the bullpen coach for the Angels. So he doesn't have that brain trust to help him through the learning curve of dealing with pitchers. And that was the trouble he had in Philadelphia as well. So I think that's still a very big learning curve for him. The other part of it is really handling all the players. It's just a time of transition for the Giants, whether it's Belt and Crawford and Posey not being here, Pence and Sandoval, Samarja, Cueto. He's going to have to figure out how to get past all these people and make them productive. So, And then as they get the younger players into the organization and up to the big leagues, analytics will be a huge part, but he'll have a little better grasp of what the game looks like And I think he'll do a better job. I would tend to agree with you. He's on a learning curve, which is interesting because while he's learning kind of at the the big league managing level, it is his third year as a manager with no time off in between. I mean, he did leave a National League team to come right over to another National League team. So you would like to think or you would hope that some of the mistakes he's made in the past, he has learned from. Now, on Sunday, we saw Kevin Gossman pitching for the Giants, maybe the best outing for a starting pitcher so far this season. He pitches into the seventh inning. He's at 80 pitches. He allows one base hit with one one out in the seventh and here comes Gabe Kapler and and I think the question is sometimes even when he goes to the bullpen he doesn't always make the right decision with the guy that he brings in and Tyler Rogers has not been all that effective so I just wonder how do you learn something like that at the big league level when you don't have as you said the experience around him and at what point is it Farhan Zaidi's job or the general manager's job to say hey we've got to get pieces in here that help the team from a managerial standpoint or a coaching standpoint at the major league level well I think it's something that has to happen this year and uh Rogers for some reason he overuses him now he's like a knuckleballer where he doesn't have high stress pitches high stress innings that really tax the arms so he likes to use him to get that ground ball he's a sinker baller and he can get a ground ball. But the eye test for Rodgers right now is he's not throwing enough sinkers. The ball is up in the strike zone. So to bring him back after two innings the day before, to bring him back into a critical situation in this one, I think was a mistake. The other part is, look, he's got Gosman, who's a major league pitcher. He's a guy throwing 99. His last pitch was 99. The question when you make a pitching change, will the next guy, be better than the guy you have on the mound. And when you look at Kapler saying, well, we're trying to preserve Gosman, it's early in the season, it's all this kind of stuff. He just threw 90 pitches or so, 80 pitches in Colorado, and here he wasn't taxed. He'd only given up one hit. 
So this is part of the learning curve. He's got to understand that major league pitchers can work through tough innings. And unless it's 100, 110 pitches, leave him in there. The stuff will tell you. The hitters will tell you what the pitcher has. And his reasons afterwards were bordering on silly of trying to preserve Gosman. Now, if they want to trade Gosman August 31st, they don't want to push him here. Well, then go ahead and say that. But in a normal baseball game, in a normal baseball season, when you have a starting pitcher throwing 99 in the seventh inning, giving up one hit, you don't take him out to bring in Tyler Rogers, a pitcher who's gotten whacked around previously. And the Dodgers have seen a lot of them. Look, these teams played seven games. So they've seen a lot of Tyler Rogers, and they were ready for him. And he couldn't put Turner away. He was lucky to get Muncie. The ball was way out of the strike zone. He got a call third strike on Muncie. And then he went 3-0 and on Pollock and had to come in, and Pollock made him pay for it. Now, Cueto, the night before, okay, he's hobbling. He's, he's the blister. He's in trouble. And, you know, it's Johnny Cueto. Maybe he, he needs a little bit more care. I could see working with him a little bit, but for Gosman, absolutely not. I was 100% with you, Marty, and I think Giants fans would share that sentiment that they wanted to see more Gosman. As you said, the hitters will tell you what your stuff is doing, and I thought Kevin Gosman, it's funny you mentioned mentioned the eye test for Tyler Rogers. I thought the eye test for Kevin Gosman was perfect, and analytics people may say, what's the eye test? <laughs> I don't know what the eye test is, says the analytics crowd. You just had to watch it and see how he was dealing, and then you throw 99 as your last pitch. Come on. You're going to bring Tyler Rogers in when your guy is throwing 99. Plus, he's got a lead. It's his game right there. He's got a 2 nothing lead. It's not in jeopardy at that point. Cueto was a little more in jeopardy, but Cueto's a veteran, and he wants to give him a little bit more of a leash. Okay. Now, for Cueto, he probably should have made a move, but he stayed with him. So, like I said, he's an outfielder trying to run a pitching staff, and I'll put it that way. That may be the easiest way to understand it. And now a quick word from Indochino. I want to jump across the bay and talk something with the Oakland A's for a minute, less on the field stuff and more about a situation that happened last week with bench coach Ryan Christensen. Now, we've had Ryan Christensen on the Seam Heads podcast, Ted Ramey and I, a couple months ago during the pandemic, and really good interview, really good baseball mind. He made a gesture on the field following a win against the Texas Rangers where he extended his arm out in what looked to be a Nazi salute. Now, upon interviewing him after that and speaking to him after, after Liam Hendricks had sort of corrected his arm in the post-game celebration, he had said that was not his intent, that players stood by him, Bob Melvin stood by him, former big leaguer and manager Brad Osmus stood by him and said this is not who the guy was, he did this unintentionally, the A's have said they will not punish him, baseball says they're not going to punish him, they're being understanding of the mistake, but I'm wondering, for a, a sport that does have a very, very rich Jewish history, and for a game that is trying to be more diverse, where do you come down on this, or what were your feelings and your thoughts when you saw this, Marty? Well, there's always been anti-Semitism in baseball. There's anti-Semitism in baseball right to today. When I saw this from uh, Ryan Christensen, I thought it was just someone who was uneducated, insensitive to uh, what Nazi Germany was all about, what the Holocaust was all about, what Hitler was all about, and used it as salute. Now, I don't think he meant to uh, denigrate Jewish people, but he used a Hitler salute to sort of acknowledge his teammates. And I think he's got to understand what that salute meant. And it's just too easy in the world today 
to do things like that, to use signs and symbols which are racist, which are nasty. He's not a neo-Nazi. I don't think he's going to be, uh, you know, wearing a Nazi helmet tomorrow. I don't think he goes to special meetings at night. That's not him. I've known him 20 years, and he's always been a decent guy. But it's part of what prevails through society today, that it's acceptable. It was acceptable to have all the statues of the Confederate heroes in southern cities and standing for uh, slavery and racism. It was acceptable to do that. Well, he thought this was acceptable, and he used it as a salute. So I say he should be educated. The public should be educated how wrong it is, what it stands for. And we just shouldn't take it lightly that you can use a salute like that in an area of baseball trying to acknowledge teammates. So I hope that it makes it clear. I think that's well said. I think there's a way to educate, there's a way to inform, and there's a way to use it as a teaching lesson without saying, ah, it's okay, you just made a mistake. You need to recognize that this was a problem and let's learn from it. Now, this was not just a mistake. This is something in his consciousness that he used and that he's seen it before and it was a sign of power and a sign of superiority. And in his consciousness, his subconsciousness, he has seen this salute before And he wanted to use it at a time when he wanted to show how powerful his teammates were and to congratulate him. And that's the problem, that it's embedded in the subconscious as being okay. Well, it's not okay. And I'm glad he did it because it brings it to the forefront where we can educate people about it. You took the words out of my mouth there and that, you know, I'm not glad that things like that are happening, but I'm glad that, you know, outside of just the Black Lives Matter movement, we're getting a look at other points of diversity that need to be highlighted throughout the game of baseball and uh, and at the national stage. We have such a good time talking the history of the game, Marty, and I want to talk one more subject here before we get out today, and that's Albert Pujols. You and I discussed him actually last weekend a little bit, talking about how he's getting ready to tie Willie Mays. He's at 659 career home runs, and I got thinking that, You know, for a long time with Baseball Hall of Famers, there were certain numbers and milestones that would just kind of get you in, right? The 500 homers was a milestone, 3,000 hits, 3,000 strikeouts, 300 wins as a pitcher. I was thinking the automatic numbers are kind of gone from baseball, right? As we've gotten further into them and as records have been broken, the automatic numbers to get you into the Hall of Fame seem like they're kind of gone. Well, they will be in the future. Uh, You can forget about 300 wins. You may forget about 200 wins. For a major league starting pitcher, the way you know pitchers are being used today, you don't have a lot of hits. You have so many more strikeouts than hits. You may not have see 3,000 hits again. The ground ball rate is up, turning into outs, so that affects the hits as well. But the home runs are kind of still there. It's a home run walk or a strikeout. So I think we're still going to see a, a high number of home runs. I don't know if we're going to see 500 from the beginning of a career to the end because these guys may not play as long. But for people like Pujols to get to 660 and tie Willie Mays, it's an amazing number. He's probably one of the top 10 hitters of, of all time in Major League Baseball. So he's tough to compare eras of baseball, you know, because the world has changed, the equipment has changed, life has changed, and you have all sorts of things. But the only mar on Pujols was Jack Clark, you know, when he was a broadcaster for the Cardinals, saying that he thought Pujols had used steroids at some point. So this is a tremendous player. He can't run very well now. He became a DH with the Angels. But 660 for him is an amazing number, and he's one away right now. And uh, he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And when he was in his prime, you couldn't get him out. And that's just who he was. And 
clearly you couldn't write the history of Major League Baseball for his era without considering him and being a prominent part of it. So good for him. I'm sorry that he's going out uh, as a slow-legged DH for the <laughs> Angels, a team going nowhere, but the legacy of 660 will stand with him forever. That's a pretty great one. You mentioned, you know, we may not see 500 again, just beginning to end because of, of longevity. I was looking at the list, just at the next guys who could crest 500. So you're at Albert Pujols at 659. The next active player on the list is Miguel Cabrera at 481. After that, you got to go all the way down to Edwin Encarnacion at 451, Nelson Cruz at 415. After that, nobody above 400. So you may be right. We may not see 500 after Miguel Cabrera for some time. Yeah, no, 500 is one that's it's going to take a while. You look at Aaron Judge, but he can't stay healthy. You look at Tatis, a kid like that, but is he going to play, you know, till he's 38 years old and that kind of stuff. So that's 500 number, 3,000 hits, you know, the 20-game winner, and the 250-game winner. Those are things that I think are things of the past, and that's the change of baseball today. It is a more specialized game, and that's the way we play it today. But you know all of Famer when you see one when you watch the career and that's something they can never take away. And I think that's the way they'll be voted on in the future. And of course, if you can ever figure out what war means, that's part of it. too. <laughs> I'm not the guy to talk to about war. I got no idea what formula they use for that thing, but you were talking about Pujols' speed and just really funny. Uh, a note on the way out is, is you're right. He's probably one of the top 10 greatest hitters of all time. He's also grounded into more double plays than any player in the history of major league baseball. Pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, put the ball on the ground. But look, there have been a lot of great hitters who hit into a lot of double plays, you know, because, you know, they hit the ball so hard and you hit it right at an infielder and, uh, you know, they can turn it easily on, you know, players. So it's indicative of hitting the ball hard. And today, of course, with the launch angle and the way the shifts are, you hit a ball up the middle. Adam, I watch these games, you do too. And we watch these games, and the pitcher throws the ball, and whack, right up the middle. He said, wow, that's a base hit to center field. And all of a sudden, there's the shortstop standing right there throwing somebody out. So that, to me, is the biggest change of the game. The ground ball has turned into an out. The evolution of the game. It's been fun to follow. It's been fun to, uh, to talk baseball with you, Marty. You passed the ear test. Not the eye test, but the ear <laughs> test for the podcast. I appreciate it. Look, I love talking ball with you. You ask great questions, and I'm happy to do it anytime. All right, Marty. We'll catch you down the road. We'll talk to you later. Uh, thanks. Always love talking baseball with my guy, Marty Lurie. We'll have to catch up with him again down the road. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you're getting the podcast. Of course, we enjoy doing these for you. We want to keep bringing you great Bay Area sports stories all year long from different corners of the sports world. And we'll tackle another one on Friday when we talk to Rod Gilmore about the cancellations of college football across the country. We knew this was a possibility. It came to light on Tuesday night that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten would both cancel their season. So we'll talk about the ramifications moving forward with Rod Gilmore on Friday. Thanks again to Marty. Thank you to Brian Smith, our producer, and thank you to you, the listener. Enjoy the week. We'll talk to you on Friday.